9, we do read, And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house and all Solomon's desire which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And verse 3 tells us, The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayers and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. And so the Lord, of course, appeared to Solomon, as we saw in chapter 3. It was 20 years previously, as Solomon just came on the throne. And Solomon, as he is uh, ruling over Israel, we know that it was the Lord that came to Solomon and said, Solomon, what do you want from me? What do you ask of me? And Solomon didn't ask of anything for himself. But he said, Lord, this is a great nation, and um, I'm just young. I don't have the experience that my father did. I don't know my coming in and my going out, and this is a great nation, a great people to rule over. So I asked for wisdom, and the Lord was pleased about that. And because Solomon didn't ask of anything for himself, the Lord said, Solomon, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to prosper you. And we have seen that, of course, Solomon has been blessed. He's been blessed with great wisdom, godly wisdom, and uh, his wisdom is known all throughout the empire. This is the pinnacle of Israel's peace and prosperity and power right now in their history, and, and the Lord has tremendously blessed the people of Israel. And we know that Solomon uh, is experiencing all that, what the Lord said that, that he would bring to Solomon and the blessings to him and to the land. And now 20 years have passed, and we know that Solomon has completed the temple. He's completed his house, as we read in uh, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him a second time. And it's interesting because as you look at Scripture, the Lord would appear to, to men of faith uh, on more than one occasion. And you see that with Abraham, you see that with Moses, you see it with David, you see with other men of faith that the Lord spoke to them and, and would give them his word. And here, 20 years are between the first time that the Lord spoke to Solomon and then the second time. And the Lord here coming to Solomon is saying that, that Solomon, I see you and I, I hear you. Uh, I've heard your prayer, speaking of the prayer of dedication there in verse 3, and I will set my eyes upon this place always. And I just want to remind you of something, and I hope that it encourages you. Because sometimes we can read the scripture and think, oh, I wish the Lord would you know, speak to me. He spoke to me a while back. And I just remember how he just spoke to my heart, and it was so encouraging. But it's been a while. It seems like it's, it's been, you know, 20 days or 20 weeks or maybe even 20 years for some. That I really sense the Lord's voice, and he's really touched my heart. But I want you to know something. Here is the Lord saying to Solomon, as he appears to him the second time, Solomon, I've heard your prayer of supplication. That is that prayer of dedication that we read about in chapter 8. Is, as Solomon is praying for the dedication of the temple. And, and it's such a wonderful prayer as we read. And I've heard it, and I, and I see this place, and my eyes will always be on this place perpetually, or that is always, continually. And I want to remind you that even though maybe perhaps you haven't sensed the touch of the Lord or, or you know, heard from the Lord, I want you to know that He sees you and He hears you. And He promises He'll never leave you or forsake you. He wants us to walk by faith, not just by sight, and know that God is with you, and his eyes are always on you. And as you cry out to him, and as you go to him, he's going to hear you. 
So here is Solomon. He, the Lord appears to him, and, and he's going to begin to speak to him. But I want you to remember, as we go into chapter 9, that this is the peak, the pinnacle uh, of Israel in their history. Great prosperity, great peace. Solomon has just completed this massive project of building his own house, but even more than that, the temple. And we saw the, the um, description of the temple that was given to us and how it was overlaid with gold and, and just the stones that were cut. Solomon, as he became king, he was able to, to raise up a massive workforce because there was peace in the land. David, his father, had defeated the enemies of Israel all around Israel. So instead of the men being at war, they were able to, to be in, involved in this construction of the temple. And so there was 80,000 that were in the quarry uh, chiseling stones, another 70,000 that were carrying the burdens, as we read. And then there was another 30,000 men that were going up to uh, Tyre and Sidon, up in what we call today Lebanon. And they were getting the cypress and cedar trees. They were putting them on rafts. They were floating them down the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa, and then from Joppa inland to Jerusalem for 40 miles. So here were all these tens of thousands of men involved in this work project and some of the other projects that Solomon is involved in. And the Lord is truly blessing. And so keep this in the back of your mind as we go and continue to travel through First Kings here, because what we're going to see is, is that all of a sudden we're going to see a decline. And I think that there's a real key verse here in, uh, in verse 1 that Solomon did uh, does all the desire which he wanted to do. The Lord comes to him, the king's house that he had finished in the temple, and all Solomon's desire which he wanted to do. In other words, it's almost as if Solomon, he really prioritized building the temple, building his house in the first 20 years of his reign, that he's really, you know, focused on the Lord and doing the work of the Lord. We saw his prayer of dedication, and it's interesting that in that prayer of dedication, if you were here last week, that you remember that he gives a word of prophecy, and that word of prophecy was simply that when we forsake you, Lord, when we turn our backs on you, Solomon didn't say if, he said when we do that, and then we go into captivity, and, and we're off into captivity, when we turn towards this place, that you will hear our prayer when we repent, and, and that you'll bring us back into the land. So here's Solomon giving this beautiful prayer of dedication. He has great understanding, using great wisdom, but all of a sudden, now this second half of his reign, we're going to see something a little bit different that's going on, I think, in Solomon's heart, and that is his desire changes. You see, he does all that is on his heart, all that he desired, and doing the work of the Lord, and building the temple, and all of a sudden, it's like his desire is going to change. And what we're going to see as we look at the text carefully in chapters 9 and 10 and going to chapter 11 is we're going to see that Solomon's going to be focused on accumulating gold and accumulating, you know, stones and spices and, and all these things. And we'll point that out as we go through it. It's like Solomon, all of a sudden, his desires are more of the worldly things. He's going to multiply horses. He's going to multiply wives. He's going to have a thousand wives and concubines. He's going to multiply gold and silver to where we're going to see that. That silver is as valuable as stones in Jerusalem. So his desire begins to change, and I believe that's where Solomon begins to, to get to that point to where he's going to end up burning incense to foreign gods. 
I simply want to say this, that what my prayer and hope for every single one of us here at Calvary Chapel is that our desire each and every day would always be that, Lord, I want to live for you, and I just want to follow after your ways. I want you to be the priority of my life. You see, sometimes we can say, uh, i kind of been there and done that. I've, you know, belonged to a church for a long time. I've gone to Wednesday night study. I've, I've served the Lord in a certain ministry. I've gone on short-term missions. I've done those things that I desired in my heart. But all of a sudden, you know, those things are behind us and our desires begin to change and we get caught up in the things of the world or, you know, the, the priority of worldly things that begins to take place in our heart. And I think that's what happened with Solomon. And I just want to remind all of us, may the priority be that, Lord, each and every day of my life, my desire is you, to be where you want me to be, to follow after you, to just be yielded to you. Because if you don't, other things begin to take place of the Lord. And that's what happens with Solomon. So here is the Lord coming to him and say, Solomon, I heard, uh, you know, and I saw in verse four, now, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness to do according to all I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. And so notice that God places David as the standard from which all the other kings will be judged by. David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness, which, which is meant that David never bowed the knee to an idol. You see, as we're going to continue journeying, as I said, we're going to see that there's a split going to be in the nation. There is going to be, as we move into chapter 12, the 10 northern tribes that are going to rebel against Solomon's son, Rehoboam, after the death of Solomon. And, and there's going to be the house of Israel and then the house of Judah. And what we're going to see is, particularly as we go through 1 Kings, that when the kings of Judah are mentioned, they are going to be compared to David because David walked in integrity. He walked with uprightness. And what is mean by, meant by that is, not that David didn't sin, of course he sinned. As we went through those books of First and Second Samuel, we saw that David sinned, and then in Second Samuel chapter 11, we saw his sin with Bathsheba. He committed adultery, and then he was guilty of committing murder because he had Bathsheba's husband killed. He made this plan. He said Joab, his, his military you know, general, who was over the head of the army, what I want you to do is put Uriah up there in the front of the lines and everybody retreat and then he'll be killed. And so the plan was carried out. And when Nathan the prophet came to David, he said, you are guilty, David, of killing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And so he committed some very serious sins. But what is meant again by he walked in, in integrity and uprightness of heart is David never bowed to knee to an idol. And when he repented, he repented to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord and he confessed his sin. And you can see those confessions as you read the book of Psalms and as you read particularly in Psalm 51 and, and, and 32, uh, those books that David is crying out to the Lord and he is confessing his sin to the Lord. And so David is compared because he was one that had a heart after God. And our, may we just have a heart after God. And may we be ones that we walk in integrity of heart, in uprightness of heart. And what is meant by that is that we would never have those things that would replace the Lord or be a priority over the Lord. That, Lord, that I'm going to give my heart to you. 
and that when we do sin, as David, that we would truly cry out to the Lord and confess that sin. Confessing means to be in agreement with, Lord, I have sinned against you, and I confess it, and it is wrong, and come to that place of repentance like David did. And so that's why those kings are, are compared to, to David. And then there's going to be this warning that's given to Solomon in verse 6. But if you and your sons um, at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? In verse 9 they will answer, because they forsook the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. A couple of things here that is, is worth uh, mentioning and making an application for us tonight. Here God given this, this uh, and reminding Solomon of this covenant that he made with the children of Israel that goes clear back to Mount Sinai. You remember in the book of Exodus that it was Moses that brought the children of Israel there to the mountain of God and the mountain shook and, and God gave his covenant to the people and it was a very simple covenant for them to understand. And it was that if you follow after me and, and you walk in my ways and are submitted to me, then I'm going to bless you. And here Israel, at this time in their history, they are seeing God's blessing upon them because their hearts are turned towards the Lord. They have been sacrificing to the Lord, all the sacrifices that we saw. They're coming to the temple to worship the Lord. The nation is united. God has tremendously blessed them and prospered them and given them peace. And he has fulfilled his word to them because they are close to the Lord. And remember that we closed chapter 8 last week that they had two weeks of celebration and a feast as they dedicated the temple. It was such a joyous time. They truly are at the pinnacle of their history here. And everyone went back back to their homes with a gladness of heart and joy in their hearts for all the good that the Lord had done for his servant David and for Israel, his people. So it's a good time and they have joy in their lives. They're living joyously. We saw that earlier in 1 Kings that it talked about that every man was sitting under his fig tree and, and eating from his vineyard and the people had great joy because the Lord was blessing and the reason was because of that covenant they were following after the Lord and their hearts were towards the Lord. But how soon and how quickly we're going to see things change here in just a few chapters. And all of a sudden, idol worship is going to come into the land. And notice that the Lord is telling Solomon this. Solomon, if you walk after my ways, if you keep my commandments, I'm going to establish your throne and, and, and things are going to be good. And he starts with Solomon because you see as he's speaking to the king, the king's going to have a huge influence on the spiritual condition of the nation. And we're going to see that as we proceed. We're going to see that the kings of the house of Israel were wicked kings given over to idol worship and how much spiritual damage and as well as it would lead to their destruction because 
those kings were idol worshipers and would not turn back to the Lord. The kings of Judah, we're going to see that the kings that were good kings and followed after the Lord, they were blessed, the nation. And then the kings that were full of idol worship, the nation would, would plunge deep, deep into, you know, uh, just uh, terrible conditions to where finally the house of Judah would be led off into captivity. But he's telling the king this, that Solomon, it starts with you, the king. Because you have a huge influence over the spiritual condition of the nation. And the Lord, of course, would also speak to the spiritual leaders, the priests, the religious leaders as well of the nation in the same kind of way. I don't need to remind you of this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Paul would say, you know, to the Philippians, he says, for me to write the same things to you, it's, it's not tedious, but for you it's safe. And I want to remind you that as leader of your home, parents, that you have a huge, and we have a huge responsibility because we set the spiritual condition of what takes place in our homes and with our children. And particularly you husbands, that as you are commissioned and ordained by God to lead your family and lead your homes, you set you know, the, the, the condition of the home, what's taking place. And it's an awesome responsibility that we have that that we're responsible for those spiritual things that take place underneath our roofs. And what I pray is, is that our homes would be ones that we praise the Lord and, and honors the Lord and His name, that the things of the Lord are spoken of and the praises of the Lord are in your hearts and that you protect your home from those things that may come in and do spiritual harm. That, that this is something that we need to be reminded of because we live in a day and age where there's so much ungodly influence that can come into our hearts and into our lives and that we would protect our homes. And I want to do that as the leader of this church, that as we talked about even on Sunday, as Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers in that second epistle that's in the New Testament, that he was saying, hey, these guys that you've accepted, that they're wolves in sheep clothing, that they're false apostles, and they're deceptive workers, and they're bringing another Jesus. And that's why I'm being so stern in this letter that I'm writing you, because being a shepherd means not only do we feed and provide and protect, but we guard as well. And we need to guard that which is ungodly that I pray for this church that we would never come to the point of oh remember we're the church we were just really we were a congregation that was just studying the word of God and we were a congregation that we loved each other and we prayed but now we've gotten sidetracked I pray that would never be said of this place or we got involved in other things or we just you know started compromising the word of God and there have been, you know, denominations, there have been other, you know, churches and ministries that they started out so well in, in just a movement of the Spirit and, and dedicated to the Lord and to the Word of God. And then over time and over the years, all of a sudden, it's a slippery slope and other things came in. And now they're compromising the Word of God. Now they're compromising the things of God and allowed the things of the world, and that was just deceptive to come in. And I pray that it would never happen here at Calvary Chapel Greeley as long as the Lord tarries, that we be committed to the things of God, that we would never say, oh, you know what, it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that we we're at the pinnacle or the peak of our spiritual condition. I think that God is just beginning to do a work here. He wants to do so much more. But it comes by continuing to be humble and be ones that are following after the ways of the Lord and the things of God and is a priority. And I hope that's the same with your family and with your life individually. 
I see too many Christians that will say, yeah, I remember 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I was really going to church and I was serving the Lord and I was leading a Bible study and the, or I was leading a small group or a home fellowship, but I don't do that anymore. I, I'm too busy. I got other things that have come into my life. No, God forbid. And I know that life gets busy and there's different seasons of our lives, but more than anything, our hearts would be, Lord, I want to stay close to you and experience the joy and the blessing of the Lord and to know that he's not through with you, that he wants to continue to use you and continue to bless you, just as he wants to continue to use this church, that we'd never get to a place of complacency. And I think that's what happened with Solomon. He got to a place of complacency, and we're going to see that all he's going to really be concerned about is amassing more horses and gold and, and you know, wives, and that's his priority in his life. And here we see that the Lord gives him a promise, you know, again, reiterating that covenant he had made. And isn't it interesting? Think about this. How we go through the Old Testament that the Lord gave this, this covenant with Israel. If you follow after me, I'll bless you. If you don't, then you're going to be in bondage to your enemies. You're going to go off into captivity. There's going to be locust infestation. There's going to be drought. Pretty simple to understand. And the Lord repeated it over and over and over again. When you go in the book of Deuteronomy, there is the Lord saying to the children of Israel right before they go into the promised land. You read that book, and over and over and over again, the Lord is saying, walk after my ways. I'll bless you. If you don't, there's going to be cursings that are going to happen. And this is going to take place. And you think, okay, I get it. I understand. And you go through the New Testament, and the Lord keeps telling them that. He tells Solomon this at, at the height and the peak of their blessing that's going on. And what we're going to see, though, is they're going to forget and not take it serious and come to that place of complacency. And just as we saw Solomon, that he said last week that not a word that you've given to us has failed. You have done what you said you're going to do. Bless the nation, and this temple has been established, just as you said to my father David. And he needed to realize that not a word of God will fail, and that if you go after other gods, then there's going to be serious consequences because of it. And somehow they would forget about it. So when we go through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, when you go through those books of the prophets, such as Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, when you go through the minor prophets, you see the prophets come to the nation here and they repeat this covenant over and over again to the people. Turn back to the Lord because if you don't, there's going to be captivity, there's going to be defeat, there's going to be drought that's going to take place in the nation. But they ignored it and they would not turn back to the Lord. It's interesting, uh, in my own devotions, I was reading Jeremiah chapter 16 this morning, and in Jeremiah chapter 16, the prophet Jeremiah is, is warning the nation right before Babylon would come in and destroy Jerusalem, and he's talking in chapter 16 how there's going to be devastation and death, and it's going to be terrible, and, and, and Jeremiah, don't take a wife, don't have any children, because it's going to be so bad. And when the people ask, why? Why did the Lord allow this to happen? It was because they've forsaken me and gone after other gods. And they did not return to me. And you see, Jeremiah at that time would say, the summer's over, the harvest is in, and we're not saved. It's one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament that I think. They came to that place where they thought, well, we got the temple. We got this glorious temple. We're God's covenant people. Nothing's going to happen to us. 
And the reason that I'm pressing this point a little bit, because we can come to a place in our spiritual life and in our Christianity to where, you know what, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Nothing's going to happen if I begin to compromise or if I'm involved in sin. When it comes to a relationship, when it comes to an attitude, when it comes to a sin or carnality of some sort, nothing's going to happen. You know, everything's cool. I'll just go to church, continue going, singing songs. You know, I'm a Christian. I'll just tell people that. But there is sin in your life, and God has been dealing with you, and you kind of tuck it away. And you see, that's what happened here. They begin to compromise ever so slowly to begin to introduce and burn some incense to idols and all of a sudden they're sacrificing children on the arms of Moloch and all of a sudden we see that the nation is full of idols and the prophets of God are coming along and they're sticking their finger in their ear and saying we're not listening to you. This is too hard. This is too much. We're God's covenant people. We have the temple. What do you mean that all this is going to happen? And I can stand up here and I can say, listen, if you're involved in sin, if you're involved in compromise, and you're just kind of just been sticking your finger in your ear saying, nothing's going to happen, I'm an exception. It's not. You're deceived. And the Lord desires for you to turn to Him and to trust in Him and to give up that sin, that carnality, that attitude of heart that is wrong. Whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's you're sneaking downstairs and pulling up things on the computer that you shouldn't be, brother. If it's, you know what, uh, you're not treating your wife right, or wives you're not respecting your husband, or you're compromising at work, or you're compromising your business, whatever it might be, and you're kind of thinking everything's going to be cool, everything's going to be all right, you're being deceived. Because the scripture says that whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And if you sow seeds to the spirit of the spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. If you sow seeds to the flesh of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. That is a promise to every single one of us. None of us are exempt to that. We have a kind of a saying in our home. You know, the kids say, hey, there's a situation. Situation, you know, and something's going on, some news going on. What's the situation? And kind of we joke around a little bit with it. Hey, any situations going on today? So I just want to say this. That if you can trust the Lord with your salvation, you can trust the Lord with your situation. And know that God's going to hear you when you turn to Him. And He desires for you, even this night. And you might say, Lord, I've compromised in this area. And you've been dealing with it. But I've been putting my hands over my eyes and sticking my finger in my ears, and I've been ignoring you, thinking everything's going to be okay. That this night that you would say, Lord, I trust you, and I'm going to turn from that, and Lord, help me. And Lord, I know you're going to take care of it. I don't know how, but you're going to provide for me, and somehow you're going to get me through this. But don't continue on. Because here was a people that they left with gladness of heart and joy, great joy, and all of a sudden that gladness is going to be replaced by sadness because they continued in their sin and compromise. And the same thing will happen to us, brothers and sisters, if we do the same thing. The gladness will be replaced with sadness over time. So with integrity and uprightness of heart, give it to the Lord. 
And we know that here Solomon, he begins, we see that compromise, verse 10. Now it happened at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, Hiram the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold and much as he had desired. And King Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. And Hiram went from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. So he said, what kind of cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul, which means worth nothing. It means good for nothing. It means dirty is what it means, as they are to this day. And then Hiram sent the king 120 talents of gold. So we see this exchange of gifts. What it is, is Solomon is, is getting gold from Hiram. Hiram had provided not only these, uh, um, you, know, uh, you know, carpenters and and mason workers and others and in the timber from up in in that area of lebanon but also we see that he's given them gold and so what solomon does is he gives them 20 cities of up in the galilee region now that's up north around the sea of galilee a couple things here as as harm gets these 20 cities we don't know what 20 cities they were i, I wish we did I, I, it'd be interesting to see but a couple things that i think about here one is was Solomon, did he even have the right to give these cities away? Because this is the inheritance of Israel. And it's Solomon because he's wanting to accumulate gold, as we're going to see, and, and wanting to take this loan, and I want this so bad, this gold, so I can continue just overlaying the temple with it, and, and my palace with it, and my thorn, you know, throne. And he even wore golden sandals, and all of his cups and everything was made of gold. And, and he wanted it, so here, give me some gold, Harm, and then what I'm going to do is I'll give you these 20 cities. And, and here's Harm, he comes down and he sees these cities, and Harm says, what are these? These are good for nothing. But Solomon, I believe, didn't have the right to give those cities because they belonged to the Lord. And as I think about those cities up in the Galilee region, there was Nazareth. Remember Nazareth? That's, of course, where Jesus was raised raised in the carpenter shop. And it was Nathaniel that would say when his brother said, hey, we found, you know, Jesus, the Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So I imagine Nazareth was probably maybe one of those cities of the Galilee. Just a little village at that time despised. You know, the people of Galilee were looked down upon, particularly in Jesus' day, because here is the temple in Jerusalem. This is where the religious leaders are. This is where the prominent people live. This is where, you know, the schools of, of you know, of the law was taught, and the religious leaders were around the temple. The people up in Galilee were just people that were farmers and fishermen and worked the land. They were looked down upon, despised. Capernaum, Bethsaida, you know, Chorazin, all those little villages. But yet it was Jesus that went there and was a great light and spent time there and was working all kinds of miracles in the Galilee region. It was important to God. And it was an inheritance of Israel. You know, I pray that you would never feel insignificant or not important. And Solomon here, ah, you can have those cities. They're... And I think he's kind of saying to his advisors, I just picture him kind of wink, wink, nod, nod. Hey, I'll get this gold. So, so what about those cities? It's not like down here in Jerusalem. I pray that we would never come to the point of being arrogant enough or where we say, oh, those people aren't important, they're not important. 
because you are important. And you are God's inheritance. You are very valuable to him. And that we will remind each other of that. So these cities, I don't think we're even there to be given to Solomon or to Hiram, the king of Tyre up there. But also I see that here is Solomon. He's not really doing business with integrity. And, and here's Hiram saying, what are these brothers? It's almost I can read, you know, in between the lines here that, that Hiram would say, you know, your father David wouldn't do this. But why are you doing this? And again, it comes back to uprightness of heart and integrity of heart. That I pray that we would, in every area of our lives, when it comes to our business, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to our families, that we would do it in a way that pleases the Lord and honors the Lord and how we work, our attitudes, being good neighbors, whatever it might be. That we would be ones that we want to be a blessing to people and deal with people in a way that they can see the reality of Jesus Christ being worked out in us. And Solomon here, I think he was just worried about the gold. Who cares if Hiram gets mad? And Hiram is saying, what are these? You know, What's going on here? And Solomon here is not dealing with uprightness of heart, but only wants to amass the material things and the gold in his life. What is it that's a priority in our lives? I think this is a good place to stop. And we'll pick it up here next time. But we're going to continue to see that Solomon's on a slippery slope. But as we just go to the Lord tonight, and I know we spent some time in prayer, and that's okay, that's good. That we want to be like David who said, Lord, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. That we would just take a moment and do that. And if there is any area of your life that you know the Lord's been dealing with you, but you've kind of just, you know, put your hands over your eyes and stuck your fingers in your ears, and you've just kind of put it aside, and uh, you know what, I'm just going to continue this way for a little bit, that you would say tonight, no. No, no more. But Lord, I want uprightness of heart, integrity of heart towards you, and honesty of heart. And if I can trust you with my salvation... I'm going to trust you with my situation. Father, we thank you. And Lord, as we just right now, as we just bow our heads, and I just pray that right now there be no moving around unless you have to. I think that we just need to be kind of still. And Lord, that we would take this time to just really look to you Lord, if there's anything that's in our heart that's not right, that, Lord, you've been dealing with this. There's been compromise. That, Lord, we know that you love us so much that you want us to turn to you. And you've given us gladness of heart because you've saved us. But maybe there's compromise. Maybe it's with an attitude or the way you've treated your kids or wife. Maybe it's in your work ethic. Maybe it's in your business ethic. Maybe it's in the things that you're watching or that you're hearing, conversations that you're involved in. 
And you can say, in this area, Lord, I'm not walking in integrity of heart, uprightness of heart. Lord, I, I confess it. Just give it to the Lord right now. And go out of this place knowing that, Lord, that, Lord, more than anything, I don't want my best days behind me. I want them to be today and ahead. And that's going to come because I'm turning to you and giving you my heart. And, Lord, confessing these things that aren't right, an attitude maybe right now, just give it to the Lord. And maybe it's hard, maybe it's scary, maybe it's difficult. Maybe you think, how are the guy's going to react when I don't join in with the dirty jokes or a conversation? Or, or, you know, what's going to happen in this relationship that I know that, that Lord isn't godly relationship? Or what's, Lord, I struggle so much with this carnality or with this sin. I have this addiction. Lord, I cry out to you tonight. Lord, please help me. Lord, I pray that you would. That it begins by just giving our hearts to you and confessing those things. That we wouldn't play games with our salvation or with our relationship with you. And Lord, we know that we can come in and sing the songs and talk the talk, but Lord, you're the one that sees the deep depth things of the heart. And you desire for us to present it to you, just as David said, and search me and try me, Lord. That's what honors you. That's all you ask in the honesty of our hearts to give these things to you and to lay them at your feet and to cry out for people, Lord, that we all struggle. And in the honesty of our hearts, cry out, I need you, Lord. I can't do this on my own. And I turn to you. Lord, help me to walk in your ways. To, Lord, to repent of this thing that you're dealing with me. And Lord, to trust and rest in your love and forgiveness and your mercy and your grace in my life. Lord, thank you so much for that. And Lord, thank you for your love for us that you desire for us to come to you and repent. You're a loving Father that receives your children, desires for us to experience the very best that you have for us because we're walking in your ways. You fill our hearts with joy, with gladness, Lord, with your wisdom. That we wouldn't get complacent thinking, well, I've been there and done that. And, but Lord, that we would press in, especially in the day in which we're living in. We're, where we know that your son's coming back soon. We see these events of craziness and everything in the world seems to be messed up and mixed up and people are confused that, Lord, that we have the truth of God's word and we can respond to it. May we respond to it tonight, whatever that means for your people. Lord, we thank you for tonight and this time that we've had. Lord, I do pray if there's anybody that's here tonight that they've never given their life to Jesus Christ. Maybe somebody that has slipped in that, that you've never experienced salvation. Or maybe you're listening to this message and these things radiate in your heart, but you're not sure even if you're a Christian. Jesus died for your sins because we're all sinners. 
and you have opportunity by faith, believing that Jesus Christ died for you, the Son of God, and was put into a grave and rose again, to turn your heart to Him. No more bondage to the world. No more just feeling dead inside. But coming to Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, who promises that as you eat of Him and drink of Him, you shall never thirst or hunger. And that He's the one that will save you. He's the only salvation you have. You pray to Him right now. If that means anything to anybody tonight, and say, Jesus, I come to you. I open my heart to you. I give my heart to you in faith, believing that you're the Son of God, Jesus, who died for my sins. Forgive me. You'll be my Lord and Savior. I surrender my heart to you fully. I believe in you completely. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And for all of us that every day just living for you, Lord. And Lord, just allowing you to draw us to yourself in every area of our lives. For thank you for this time we've had tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God is good.